Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Weekly Song Podcast. My name is Roger Heathers and with me as always is... Declan Kitchener. Hello to you, Roger. Hello, Declan. How are you this week? I'm fine. I've not had a lot of free time, but other than that, I am fine. Yeah, same here. Wrote my song in about the last two days of the week, this week. Next week I'll be writing from day one. So he's already writing. He's writing in his head as he says this to you. F, G, A minor, D minor. Um, not bad, not bad. <laughs> I'll take yeah. it. Turns out we should do this every week. Uh, yeah, so for anyone who's uh, not listened to the podcast before, the idea of the weekly song podcast is that Roger and I both have to write a song within the space of a week. Uh, and then we play them to each other, not having heard them before, and just discuss what went into the songwriting process and everything. That's right. And uh, for anyone who has or hasn't heard the podcast before, this is our one month anniversary of recording. Hooray. We've been doing this for a month now, and so this is uh, week five of writing a song every single week. Where has a month gone? Oh, and God. what has changed in the world since that month has started? <laughs> I blame us. I bl- yeah, since we started, yeah. the world went to hell. <laughs> right, so every week um, we take it in turns to, uh, to go first, and last week I went first, so that means that this week Declan is playing his uh, weekly song first. Right. I just realised there's a very slight problem. What is it? I haven't even thought of a name for my song. <laughs> You've done this twice now. Yeah, no, literally just. What, um, I can't call this one steel, can I? Um, <clears throat> right. This no. Is, I've just instantly decided this song is called uh, "The Tales You Tell." So many. 
my guitar first. That is, uh, in my opinion, your best song to date. Hooray! Tell me how you wrote it. It's kind of a novel, really. Like, I was thinking about just suspensions, which, for people who don't know, suspension is when you put a note in a chord that doesn't belong. So, for example, this is the chord of C. I can make it a suspended second by putting in the second note, D, which adds a bit more complexity to it. And I was just playing around and I ended up coming up with a pattern uh, that ended up sounding like this. Which I thought sounded okay, but then I uh, sort of just thought, well, what happens if I put that chord sequence backwards? So I flipped the whole thing round and it ended up sounding well, like the final chord sequence. Uh, which became the main building point of the song. Mm. Um, and then uh, the chorus is actually... Uh, it's um, a tone down. It modulates a tone down. From... I thought there was a key change there, yeah. Yeah, like, um, I got stuck. Like, I've decided to put this B flat, which isn't really in the scale, uh, as a signal to go into the chorus. But then I realised that was uh, going to be a bit tricky and I couldn't find anything on guitar that would make it fit, so I just took it over to the piano. And I just found, naturally, that I was just going 4-5-1. It, it creates a, a nice um, resolve in the chorus, obviously. Well, resolve, probably the wrong word because you're in a completely different key. But you have this one four five thing going on and it kind of feels like, ah, it's like it's definitely the chorus. Yeah, well, another thing that I was sort of trying to do is try and keep the chorus free of suspension. So every single note in the um, verse is a suspended note. So that's C sus 2, 
C sus six. That's an F major seven over C. And that's um, an E minor over C. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they're all weird chords, but then when you get to the chorus, it's just E flat, F, B flat. So what key is the verse in? C major? Yes. And the chorus is in F major? B flat. B flat, B flat, okay. So oh, it's, oh, it's, you said it's a toned down, yeah. Yeah, so okay. it's, a, it's a Penny Lane trick, essentially. Like, um, the chorus in Penny Lane is a semi-toned down, so I thought I'd give it a go. Yeah. But um, I did have to change one thing on the verse, uh, uh, just because I thought it sounded a bit too similar to something else, because the original melody, uh, melody to the first bit, you know, because... It was originally sleepy head, oh. sleepy head, empty head. Put on your clothes and get out of bed, which I thought sounded a bit too similar to. Isn't me? That's what it reminds me of. I knew it was something it reminded me of. Yeah, it's uh, it has that Nirvana feel. My comment that was going to be before you explained that was going to be there's a real '90s vibe to this. <laughs> Um, it, yeah, it has definitely has a 90s vibe to it, and uh, now I know why. Yeah, because <laughs> basically I nicked it off Nirvana. But, but I think your rhythms and your melodies, and uh, vocally I'm talking, and also your, your lyrics in this song, uh, really stand out as, as some of your best. Thank you. Uh, where, where did the lyrics come from? Um, I don't know, really. Like, I just, um, in verse one, I just was trying to... Fiddle about with something that to go over the, and all that was coming to mind was a do 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 and just sleepy head empty head was all that came into all that came into my head. So I thought, what's the logical next thing from that? Sleepy head empty head, put on your clothes and get out of bed. Go downstairs and have a cup of tea. Like I was just trying to write. Like it's, it's very odd. I normally don't write about mundane things, as it were. Mm. But, but um, it, it makes the mundane interesting, I think. And also the song really has a great um, through line because it's a narrative. It's from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. Yeah, you start off going into the city feeling a bit like everything's a bit shit and then you end up in a pub with your mates. Exactly. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Like, um, like it was originally just going to be one of those songs that's all said, life is short and depressing, so... Um, uh, make the most of it, which is where the days are heading out the door, so when you send them up, all that sort of stuff came from. But then mm. in verse two, I just, I did the um, bit. Pass the busker who is always out of key. Pass the chippy in the chainsaw bakery. And then I just sort of thought, well, what am I going to put after that? And then I sort of thought, just the words, um, and at the end, you meet your friends. It's been too long, good to meet again. And then I sort of thought, it'd be nice in verse three if everyone was drunk in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why um, there's a, I said, guitar solo bit in there. Uh, because, um, I don't know, I just couldn't think of a bridge to uh, do it right. I just like the idea of, like, if this becomes a full song, you have your... Like, the instrumental indicates a passage of time and then you just join back with everyone when they're pissed. And then it would be like a sing-along chorus at the end or something like that, maybe. Hopefully. I like the, um, at the end of the guitar solo, you've got a, um, a major fourth going to a minor fourth. That's yeah. nice. Yeah, I nicked that from you. I was thinking like, um, 
what would Roger do here? That's literally a thought that went through <laughs> my head, and it's just like... But I, I've got such an nice. affinity with that song that I can hear it anywhere on the radio or anything else. Go, hey, is that chord change that I love? <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. It made me smile when I when I saw you play it the first time. Then, yeah, I think that's the first. I oh, know it's not the first time I did that. I did that in um, an episode of mine ages ago, but it's the first time in a long time I've used mm. that little thing. It kind of surprises me in a way that you don't use it all the time, if that makes sense. Because I know you're a big fan of the Beatles, um, and that's the thing they do often. Yeah, well, it's just kind of. Um, most of my songs don't really call for it because that's it's kind of like um, essentially it's just a step down back into the verse. But most of my songs don't really do that. No, that's true. That's true. Yours have a different format to them, don't they? Yeah, mine tend to just plow on through and not have a lot of time waiting around. Mm, that's true. Whereas mine always have something to come back to. If like if I'm I'm in C for uh, the verse, for example, I always have something where I'm kind of like. And then always come back to C to say the next thing I'm going to say. Yeah, like, um, it's, it's just a difference in songwriting style. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, um, can't really think of too much else to say about it, other than, um, what was I going to What's say? it called again? Uh, it's called The Tales You Tell. That's very good. I was going to call it Moments, but then I realised I've already got a song called Memories. Moments, so. Memories. <laughs> yeah, just have an album called Sentiments. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah... I think that's about it. Good work. Good work. I really like that one. Thank you. Good stuff. All right. Okay. So um, my song this week, I wrote in two days and uh, it was the most worried I've ever been to come to the podcast with, with nothing. I'd hate, I'd hate that to happen. So I sat down two days in a row. The first day I, I didn't really get very much. I got a few chords that I might use. And um, then the second day, I wrote this almost in one sitting. Um, I'll explain the sort of genesis of the song afterwards because it kind of explains what the lyrics are about because it sounds a bit abstract but it's actually about something. Uh, this song is called Dumb Waiter. Visiting for the night Stranger Sitting there across the Is uh, my shortest song. I was gonna say I was expecting it to go a little bit longer. 
That was really quite nice. I like that. Like, what Thank was that? you. Was that just a normal B flat seven you were doing at one point? B flat seven, yeah. Um, but the interesting thing about that is the song starts off in C major. The verses are in C major, and I wanted to ha- use a chord change I've never used before, which is the one I. I alluded to the other night when I was talking to you about chords. Yeah, you were saying to me like, oh, I really want to show you the chord change ideas, but it would give away the context in which it's used in the song. <laughs> exactly. So you've got this um, C, which goes down to um, a tone below, but the minor seventh version. And then it's a, and then C's relative minor as a seventh too. That almost sounds quite, that sounds really quite jazzy when you do that. In isolation, it's like a really... It has a real lilt to it. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, my paintings on the wall in front of you. And I use the D7 as the fifth to get into my new key, which is G major. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, yeah, I was quite pleased with the modulation. Um, but to be completely honest with you, I didn't write this song until later in the week, so I kind of felt like I was squeezing out the end of the toothpaste tube, so I've, to speak. I had that quite a lot the last time we did this challenge. Like, it's it's not a fun feeling, but then no. sometimes you do get real gems from it. I like what came out, but it's, it's short. I kind of wish... I mean, I could probably work on this for another week and it would be a long song that I'm very proud of, but... It's just sort of like a snapshot, um, so it's a little short. I kind of like it short. It would be like a good um, either album opener or a closer, just to sort of set the mood of something. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, so, basically, lyrically what it's about is... Um, it's probably my most uh, depressing song yet. Um, I don't know if any of this comes so from this, the so this, So this week, I've written the nice, happy song, and you've written the depressing song. <laughs> We, we're affecting each other. We're rubbing off on each other. Yeah. You'll be writing, like, few, uh, like high rock, you know, style ballads or something, and then I'll just be, like, uh, pootling along doing all the nice, complex... Uh, <laughs> I'll be in falsetto by the end of this. You'll be doing major to minor fourths, going... <laughs> Give it a couple of weeks, it's bound to happen. <laughs> so, basically, the lyrics are about um, um, an open mic, which I was really lucky to host on Friday um, in, uh, in Truro, but it wasn't uh, the most... It was quite an underwhelming open mic for me. Mm. And I know that all this is to expect, so I want to say this first. I understand that sometimes you play music to people in public and you don't get a reception because people are out having a good time and they're not listening and they're having a drink. Totally fine. Yeah, but, they'll do as they will. Exactly, of course, and I've been in the situation too. But um, in this particular instance, um, I kind of... I drove home from this event and I was thinking about like imagine being a painter right and you got all your pictures you're really proud of you spent all your time on them um you know and this is a metaphor for songs and you put your pictures on the wall in front of just this room of people just like slinging back whiskey and stuff and just like they don't even know that stuff's there um and so it's kind of like saying about feeling like you are not being listened to you know um as, as a musician and so I kind of went into this thing that doesn't happen to me very often where I thought, um, you know, is music sort of like um, an empty thing to be doing, which is something I don't think very often at all. And so I kind of had that for, you know, an evening. I was thinking about that. 
Anyway, um, so I, I took a trip into Truro the next day, um, saw you. Yeah, and, you um, saw me fuck up on the tills. <laughs> I didn't see the fuck up. But um, yeah, so I, I went into uh, to HMV and I thought, I want to get something inspiring to make me feel like it's, uh, you know, to see cause some good art, basically, and good music. And so I got um, a film called The Grand Budapest Hotel and uh, I took it home and I put it on repeat. And uh, some of it I had on mute and some of it I didn't. And uh, that's where the song title comes from. There's a scene where uh, they're breaking out of prison and they have to go down in this dumb waiter. Mm. And so that's where the title's from, basically. Yeah. I'm probably going to have to cut some of this because it's a long story. No, no, keep it all. It's really interesting. Um, that sounded really psychotic. I'm genuinely enthralled. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. Um, so the dumb waiter line came from that. And then sometimes what I'll do is I'll take a lyric from just something that I read in a book or something I hear just while I'm writing. So I had the film on. And then there's a scene where he goes... Tonight my hotel's in your hands. And I thought, that, that'll transition back into the verse very nicely. And, um, which kind of led to the thing of the hotel and then visiting for the night. And then the visiting for the night is, is this, uh, this patron to the bar who just comes in, doesn't listen, doesn't even, he's not even aware there's music or entertainment on. And then he tries to get involved and he's drunk. And it's like... Oh, one of those. One of those. So get your whiskey paintbrush off my picture. Go back home. <laughs> You know, probably one of my more scathing lines, but... Um, yeah, so it's basically about that, and kind of a writer's block silence versus let's watch, let's watch a great movie, let's listen to a good album and see if we can kind of refill the well, so to speak. Mm. Um, and that's, that's why I Dave Drop... Dave Drop? That's why I name drop Dave Chappelle, Steely Dan, Grand Budapest Hotel, um, because those are things that I've been interested in recently. And things that remind me that, you know, it's worthwhile to create stuff. Yeah. Did I get too pretentious then? <laughs> no, no, that was, that was um, I'm not quite sure how to respond to that one. But it's like, the thing you were describing is a feeling that everybody has at some point, that they're not being listened to and that what they do doesn't matter, despite the fact that it does. Yeah, exactly. You know, and of course, this is just an open mic, and I understand. Like I say, people come out; they don't yeah, come out so, to hear original music. Yeah, yeah, but sometimes, like um, you know, you have a bad night like that, and or like um, not necessarily a bad night, but something like that will happen. Sure, and just spark off another set of lyrics. Like I had one. Um, uh, was it the King is Dead or something? Let's kill the King. Mm. Like um, which I showed you a while back, which just yeah. basically came out of. Uh, playing well, it was um, an open mic, but it was uh, just playing it the worst I've ever played. Playing with somebody who was, you know, not a great player, and then like you know, playing on a guitar in a style I wasn't used to, mm. with you know the settings I wasn't used to, and just making a complete hash of it and thinking, God, you know, why? Yeah, and yeah. then from I, that, I don't believe in you, but why? From from that gig until the next good one, you kind of have this feeling like. Why am I doing this? Yeah, why am I pretending to be a musician? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I, mean, I guess the song's just an expression of that. And also, so it was a kind of a mixture of, like, two negative things. A kind of, um, it was good. It was a good night, but, like, a kind of bad performance experience. Yeah. And um, and also writer's block at the end of the week. Um, both of those channeled into one really short song. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's, it's as long as it needs to be, I think. Like, like yeah. I said, it's a good mood setter. Definitely. I mean, it's a nice little... Um, I don't know, what do you call it? Picture piece. There's a real term for that. But like a little snapshot. Yeah. Um, and I'm pleased with the modulation in it. Chord-wise, I'm quite pleased with it. 
Um, just briefly, I, what the idea started as is something in the same sort of style, which went like this. some sort of vague lyrical ideas of that, but I like the idea of kind of using major and minor chords next to each other that really aren't supposed to be next to each other. Well, it's kind of, I notice you're doing minor, major, minor, major. So essentially you're keeping the third the same on each of them, like the third on that one is uh, A flat, and then it's the same in the next chord, and then the next one is F sharp. Right, no, I didn't even notice that, but that it does create that sort of semblance of, um, you know, fluidity. Yeah, which is something you've done before to good effect on, um, oh, Captain Lieber. She... Yeah. But you're doing it in the vocal as well, like it's the same note each time. She... Yeah, um, it's, it's a trick I really like using because it, it's nice to have one suspended note while you have other things changing underneath it. That's a trick I really like. Yeah, like it's a, it's a way of getting back to key nice and quickly rather than going, for example, the alternative would be two majors or two minors, which would sound more like... She runs... <laughs> which would be a completely different song. She runs, tied a ship to me. But yeah, so I mean, that's all I can really think to say about the song this week. Um, like I say, I'm pleased with the chords, but you know, it's not my best song of the challenge, but it's a song and nice. I, I wrote it in seven days. So that's, that's... Well, it suits its purpose and I quite like it. So, you know. Thank you very much. It's nice to see you writing miserable music. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the discussion piece for this week is um, we decided to choose our top three albums. Um, well, uh, specifically... Oh. Singer songwriter style albums, which doesn't necessarily mean a bloke sitting down with an acoustic guitar or a piano mm. and uh, bashing out, you know, 12 love ditties about their life. It's just albums where it's written and maybe recorded by one person. Mm. It was a tricky one to choose just three because a lot of the music I'm into is singer songwriter type people, you mm. know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was a tricky one to choose, but I've chosen three, and I'm, I know you've chosen three as well. Would yeah. you like to go first? Uh, I can do. And I'm going to start with one that I think Roger probably has on his list as well. Um, and it's um, Carol King with her album Tapestry. I do not have that one on my list, oh. but it's a good choice. Okay. It did, did definitely cross my mind. I'm wondering which one you think I thought of then. Um, but... Yeah, Carol King very nearly made it. Uh, last week we were discussing our top five songwriter, uh, songwriters. Carol King very nearly made it into my top five. Mm. Like, like the essentially the story behind her is that she used to work uh, for a record label and she used to write hit songs for other people. So she wrote "You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman" and uh, "Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow," and she wrote all these hits for other people. Mm. But then at some point she wanted to try out her own thing. And so she recorded all of these songs and a couple more that she had written. Uh, she recorded them herself. And 
just it, the result is a beautiful album like the production on the album is fantastic it's, it's stellar a, like I think you said before it's a sound to aspire to and I completely agree to that absolutely like um and her voice is just amazing but the, you know it's a album of you know hit after hit after hit after hit it's amazing. it's like a greatest hits whenever yeah. I hear it, I'm just like this isn't one session is it yeah, it is. It's all one recording session. Yeah, it's yeah, it's one. Well, I say mean one one block of time. Yeah, you know? one block of yeah. time, one album. She was encouraged by a guitarist, a famous guitarist, to uh, to record her material under her own name. Who was the person who encouraged her to do that? It was James Martin, wasn't it? James Martin. Yeah, I couldn't remember who it was, but yeah, but he plays guitar on the album as well. Oh, really? I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay. He either guests on it or he plays all the guitar on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, and. Um, like the piano work is to die for. Like, I desperately want to learn some of those songs on piano. Oh, I know it's fantastic, yeah. and it still holds up. It stands the test of time so well. It's brilliant, mm. and all those songs are still in you know pretty heavy radio rotation. Yeah, particularly stuff like "We Used to Love Me Tomorrow" or um, uh, "You've Got a Friend." Like that one gets everywhere. Yeah, good first choice. Yeah, you're not doing a top three this week, are you? No, I c- I couldn't work out an order this week. No, I couldn't either. Okay, so my first top three singer-songwriter album, in no particular order, is one that I'm not sure if you've heard, but one I think you'd love. Uh, it's um, Flaming Pie by Paul McCartney. We have had a discussion about this before, and I have listened to the album, but I can't remember too much about it. Well, um, it Bear in was... mind I've listened to it about once, and this was about a year ago. It was uh, Paul McCartney's 10th solo record, um, released under his own name, You're not counting Wings or anything like that. It's released in 1997, um, so it's kind of like a, a world apart from his 70s records, but it was actually recorded um, just after the making of the Beatles anthology records, and Paul said that he was so um, inspired by listening to those recordings and the way the Beatles used to write songs together that he, was, he just had this burst of creativity where he just wrote Flaming Pie, basically. And I'm going to misquote this, but um, and you might know the quotation, actually, but I think John Lennon once, when asked where the Beatles' name came from, he said um, something like, God came down to me on a God, flaming pie? God burst out of a flaming pie and said, you shall be Beatles with an A, and thus it was so, or something. Exactly. So you can kind of make the connection between him working on the anthology material and um, and the Flaming Pie title of the record. And um, I don't have a hell of a lot to say about the album, aside from the fact that um, it's so well written. I think it's his best material other than the Beatles, uh, full stop. I think it's, it's, it's brilliant. Um, he's really smart with his chords on this one, um, which he generally is anyway. He's a very, very smart writer. Um, and this album's so sentimental and full of uh, love songs, um, so it's a really nice one to listen to. Um, for each of my three choices, I'm going to play like a little sort of abridged, concise version of the song of one of the songs from the album, just to kind of demonstrate some of the chord changes and stuff. See, this this week Roger has done the homework and I haven't had the time. If you listen to last week's episode, the opposite was true. Um, I just had a list of five names. And you, I go. You say that I just googled all the Disney songs before we started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't don't uh, for for a second. Google was a big part in my game this week. So uh, uh, the song from this album is called uh, Beautiful Night, and I'm not going to play the thing in its entirety, but just a little bit to give you an idea. Someone's gone out fishing, someone's high and dry, someone's 
changes to C minor here, sorry, it changes to C major from uh, A major here. Make it a beautiful night for me A beautiful night for love A wonderful sight for lovers of love to behold And so you end up back on the A major, which the verse started in, and it carries on to the second verse, but I just think that's such a great, wonderful piece of writing. I did love the little trick in there. I, you're going to have to confirm this to me, but mm. where he's like running down the... Running down in the key of A major, and then the second time through to get that sense of changes. Yeah. And then right, to an S, minor, yeah, S sharp minor on the major. It's almost like putting a, making it a seventh for that bit. It is, but in a really smart, like you say, rundown type of way. Um, and then you find yourself with a different mood, but not a different key, which I think is smart. And then he gives you that sort of like, it ends on an A, goes to a D minor, which would be that sad... It's a minor fourth. Minor fourth, but then the minor fourth acts as the D. minor second to C major, which is just mind-blowing. It's I love it. really clever. So that's, um, that's my first uh, favourite singer-songwriter album, Flaming Pie by Paul McCartney, 1997. Cool. Yeah. My choice for number two, I don't know if you've heard it, but I think if you haven't, you might like it. It's um, Making Mirrors by Gautier. I've heard the singles from that album, but yeah. nothing further. Yeah, I mean, that was the album that had the big single, um, Somebody That I Used To Know. Etc. Mm. But it's kind of really atypical for music I like like it's influenced by electronica and it's got loads of bit electronic bits and everything and um, mm. like kind of lo-fi guitar parts in there but it's it's really just a mix of quite a lot of really intelligent ideas and you know some really simple ones mixed in with some really complicated ones like there's a track on there called State of the Art mm. which is my favourite track from that album but it's all computer samples and um, keyboards and fake instruments and everything and the voice is comically low dis um, uh, pitch shifted mm. but that's the point and it works to create something which is really interesting and you know it, it's odd to say that that's my favourite track on the album this really computerised thing but it really is and then you've got tracks on there like obviously somebody that I used to know which is you know brilliant heartbreaks on you've got stuff like uh I Feel Better, which sounds like it could have been written in the Motown era. Right. Yeah. So it's a real mixed bag. Yeah, but it all fits together under one um, uh, one band. And then you can get really sinister on tracks like um, Smoke and Mirrors. I think you'd like the production of it, actually. Mm. Yeah, because it's, um, you know, because Gautier is obviously one guy. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's really, it's a really interesting listen. And it, it's... Um, like, the reason it's on my list is just because I keep going back and listening to it. Like, the train was late today, so I ended up just listening to the whole thing on the way back from uh, Truro. Right, right. What's the album called again? Making Mirrors. That's a really good album title. I can lend you it if you want. I'd, I'd love to hear it, yeah. I mean, I probably want Frank Turner back first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get that back to you. My second choice for my top three singer-songwriter albums is the one that I thought we might both have, but I'm doubtful now because we've both done two. Um, it's uh, David Bowie's Hunky Dory. Okay. Yeah, um, and it was released in December of 1971, and 
I think it's either David Bowie's third or fourth album. I think it's fourth because he had David Bowie. Then mm-hmm. he had a second one. I think which was also called David Bowie. Yeah. Then he had Man Who Sold the World, and then Hunky Dory. What about Space Oddity? Or maybe it was Space Oddity, David Bowie, Man Who Sold the World. Something like that. Uh, I think it's number four. But anyways, it's an early album, and um, it just... I think it's the... uh, I don't want to say the only album, but I think it's one of the few albums he did that really, really exhibited him as like a a singer-songwriter in a raw format, where it's just him Mm. and a piano, or him and a guitar... Um, as opposed to all the um, the extra uh, frilly bits on the outside, um, which I love, you know, obviously Ziggy Stardust mm. or Earthling or anything like that. Um, but he was just, it was completely uncluttered and very well produced in a similar way to, um, I think, Tapestry um, is well produced. They yeah, both have a sort of acoustic... Stripped back to the bare essentials. Exactly. And, um, yeah, so I, I really like the album for that, and the lyrics are great on the album. Um, I'm going to play a little bit of um, Quicksand... Um, because I like it. <laughs> That's reason enough. <laughs> Might have to cut that, um, but maybe not. Um, I like this as well because, uh, like my first choice, it has a nice uh, key change. It changes from um, it changes from G major to in the first verse to D major in the second verse. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I might have got that wrong there. But uh, yeah, there's a little bit of quicksand. Closer to the golden dawn Immersed in Crowley's uniform of imagery I'm living in a silent film Betraying him the sacred realm of dream reality I'm frightened by the total goal Drawing to the ragged hole And I ain't got the power anymore No, I ain't got the power anymore I'm the twisted name on Gobble's eyes I'm living proof of Churchill's lies I'm destiny Torn between the light and dark Where others see their targets define symmetry um, So, you know, that leads you to the second verse, which is in D. And then I think the first one's in C. I was wrong to say G, I think. Yeah. Well, you've, well, essentially you're changing from having that A minor feeling when you're changing between... ..to the... Mm-hmm. Like gives a real tonal centre of uh, shift, but like he's really clever with those songs on that album. Like the production on them is actually something that's really relatively understated, but kind of essential as well. Like, I, have yeah. you heard the new version of Life on Mars? New version. Yeah, they've done a new mix of it where essentially they've just ripped every, taken everything off apart from the voice, the piano, and the orchestra. Oh wow, I haven't heard that. It sounds awful. Does it sound awful? Yeah, because like you're expecting like um, the bass and the drums and then the guitar to come in at the end, and then it just doesn't. It feels really empty. Right. But like you know, it doesn't stand out too much on the master track, so it's kind of just shows how much how much so little can 
put in, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, Life on Mars is one of my favourite chord sequences. Oh, of, of all, all time. time. Yeah, like I, I was studying it religiously at the piano for ages. I've forgotten most of it, but I love how it's all based around semitonal movement. So you've got like anything that's based around semitonal movement makes me a tiny bit hard. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> Elliot Smith once said that, not the end bit. He said anything that's got semitonal movement always pricks my ears up. Yeah, well, it's even like on the int- in the uh, beginning thing, like the uh, you go from an F to a F major seven to an F seven to a D, which uh, just takes you down F E E flat D, and mm-hmm. then same thing again. You're just going down G F E, and then I forgot what the next chord is, but like it's just a really fantastic song. And then when you get to that ascending bit where you go. Like it's all based around an ascending pattern after the descending pattern in the bit before it. Mm. It's really quite special, and just the amount of like variety you've got going from something which is really quite ploddy and weird, like mm. um, "Oh You Pretty Things." Oh, you pretty things, don't you know you're driving your mamas and papas insane? Yeah, where uh, compared to something which is much more poppy, like. Ch-ch-ch-changes, turn and face the strange, ch-ch-change it, which has got a real drive forward on it. Yeah. To, you know, something like Queen Bitch. Yeah. Which is, yeah, another ball uh, ball game entirely. Absolutely, a whole different kettle of ball games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, also you've got, like, the quiet ones, like, like I just play Quicksand or um, Andy Warhol. Yeah. I've never been much for Andy Warhol, I expect it. Not my favourite song, but... That I've, yeah, I've got a little bit of respect for it. Warhol, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like you just left the tape running at the beginning of the year. Uh, um, so what's your third choice? Right. My third choice is um, Frank Turner, Tape Deck Heart. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was like, wondering when his name was going to come up. Yeah, like um, ever since I heard Frank Turner for the first time, he's been a massive influence on my songwriting and... Um, like, he's got a real punk sensibility, but you can mix it in with, you know, uh, pop sensibilities as well. Like, he knows how to write a decent tune. Mm. And it's, essentially, it's his, I think it's his most varied album. Like, you know, my personal favourite is uh, the one after, Positive Songs for Negative People, but I think the one with the best writing uh, overall it's is, a tricky one, is that, Take Deck Heart. Mm. Like, um, like you, it's... You've got things like um, Recovery, which has got this really uh, nice ascending pop riff. Like, Blacking in the night in the strange flat in East London Somebody I don't really know just gave me something To help set me down To stop me from always thinking about you And you know you're like a sad man You're questionable to retro when you're up the days of strangers And you can't remember anything except the way you sound He told me you know what I should like it's got that kind of feel to it and then you have something like the last track which is called Broken Piano mm. where for ages it's just him I think it's a C note but I'm willing to be proved wrong mm. uh, of that droning away underneath on an organ and him singing the melody over it like so to be your fletcher I don't think it's a C actually ever having played it but essentially he's just he's uh, singing over a drone note and then just on that last chorus you get the whole band coming back in and doing the and making it really heavy and moving away from the drone which is after you spent three minutes on this drone it's really amazing or you get this really sad really raw production actually 
uh, finger pick song, um, which essentially, darling, I don't think I love you anymore. But like, it's it's basically just sounds like we would be playing it in the room now. There's bas there's no reverb on it. It just sounds right. literally like he's right up against the mic here, the guitar too. Just sounds like oh, that. Oh, that's amazing. It's really personal. Um, or something like um, uh, really popular. feel for a love song mm. which has a really great bridge on it which is just based around an ascending scale because i said i love you so many times that the words kind of die in my mouth and i meant it each time with your beautiful woman but somehow it never works out because you stood apart in my callous and you taught me and here's what i learned that love is about all the changes we make and not just three small words um that's really nice, I like that. It's literally just starting on A and ascending the G major scale. Like, it's just really quite a... Intro I remember when I first realised what he was doing, with that, I was like, that's quite clever. Mm. But also, and I mean this in the best possible way, not that clever. Like, really kind of a simple thing that's used to great effect. Yeah. Like, it's just something that I'd never heard anyone do before, and I was thinking, like, why has no one done that before? <laughs> you would have thought that would be done all the time. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, but it's just really well-produced. Like, it's much more produced than his other records, but it really helps, and there are moments where the production just goes away, and it's really intimate. Yeah. Like, um... Like, uh, I'll have to give you that one as well to listen to at some point. Once you Once give me back my other CD. The first one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Take Deck Heart, uh, album number three from me. Uh, Good choice. Yeah, what's yours? Uh, mine is, my third choice is similar to yours, uh, your, your final choice, in the sense that it's someone who has had a big influence on my songwriting, like I know Frank Turner has on yours. I think I could guess the artist, but Go continue. Go on, take, take a guess. I can't exactly remember his name, uh, how you say his name, but I know who it is. Oh, you mean Sufjan Stevens? Elliot Smith, this is. Yeah, Elliot Smith, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Elliot Smith. Um, I thought it was Eli Smith for a second there. Like, <laughs> Good old Eli, Eli Smith. Eli, Egypt. What was his first name again? <laughs> Egypt. I had, a, I had a real mind fart there for a second. I do that all the time. Yeah, so this is, um, this is Either Or by Elliot Smith, uh, my, my last choice on top three singer-songwriters. Um... It was released in February of 1997, and for some reason, I always think of it as his debut album. It's not. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so uh, I always think of, his of it as his debut album because uh, it was the first album I heard by him, which doesn't always happen. I don't think of Night at the Opera as Queen's first album because it's the first one I heard, but for some reason with Elliot Smith, I think of either or as his debut. Well, how old were you when you first heard Elliot Smith? 15, 16. Okay. Something like that. Um, and uh, so I heard this album, and then, I you know, later on I went back to his first two albums, I think this is his third, and in my opinion, they're not as good. They're, like, the writing isn't strong yet, yeah. um, and it just has a completely different tone, and it lacks what I think Elliot Smith fans like about his music. But anyway, I heard Either Or first, and um, 
a lot of it's recorded on sort of lo-fi tape, and it's got this really lo-fi sound. And something I noticed only today when I listened to it through at home is that the uh, the vocal is mixed louder than the drums, which is kind of a normal thing, but the way it's done on this is like, you kind of don't even know there's drums there sometimes, there just happens to be. And uh, the vocal's so like, I suppose the reason that's a, a, uh, a noteworthy thing is because the vocal's so quiet, he sings like up to the mic like this, he kind of sings like this, but the vocal's so compressed that you can just hear it uh, above everything else, and it's the main thing that stands out. Um, and that really lends itself to the fact that his music is so melodic um, and really has great chords. Uh, I'm going to play a little bit of a song called Say Yes, which is the last track on the album, and uh, the first one that I really began to like. I'm in love with the world through the eyes of a girl Still around the morning after Situations get fucked up and turned around soon Smith influences from in that yeah yeah like <laughs> like it's it's kind of odd when you hear an artist that someone else really likes and then you think that's where they get it from I think mind. the same with you and Frank Turner whenever I hear his music I can really hear you you in it thank, thank you I, <laughs> yeah I'm in his band it, yes it's happened <laughs> what were the chords on that um ascending bit the um the, the kind of final yeah well uh you're going to probably have to tell me the names of the chords, but um, the ending I really want to highlight because I think the chords are really fantastic. But that is, um, you're playing around a G major, but you're moving the, moving the fifth of a semitone each time to a D sharp, to an E, to an F. So is the bass staying the same? Staying the same. And then you kind of come down again, but you miss out the E sharp, and then you've got a G major again, and then you're up to a C sort of thing. So that would be... That's it, yeah. Which, um, you know, is a great example of uh, how semitonal movement gave him a bit of a hard-on. Yeah. <laughs> the only other thing I wanted to highlight in this song is um, is the bit where he goes, they want you or they don't. The chords underneath that, I think, are pretty simple, but I like them. So you're in G major and you go, they want you or they don't. Which is... G major, G slash D. Sorry, I'm, I'm saying what I mean to say is G major, and then G major with like the root, a semitone down. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that'd be an F sharp in the bass then? Yeah, that's it, sorry, yeah, F sharp in the bass. So G, F sharp in the bass, F major, F9. That'd be... That's it. E minor, C minor. Say yes. Up to the G. Um, but all those in quick succession. I mean, I just think it creates such a nice movement. It's kind of obvious in a way, but to use the F major and the F9, I think, has a really nice effect. Yeah, like it's it works really well, particularly that C minor. It's a minor fourth thing we were discussing. Exactly, yeah. But it's an interesting way to get to it, because I feel like he could well, have just gone... Well, it's... Yeah, that's the thing. Like, most time you tend to have, like... So you actually hear that semitonal movement, whereas this time it's... Mm. There's another really good example of that on the same album, uh, on a song called Ballad of Big Nothing. I was already, like, I was like 16, 17 after I was listening to the album all the time, and uh, I knew the Beatles did the major fourth to minor fourth thing, but he was the first person I ever heard just go, you know, one, five, minor fourth, just to make it a minor fourth straight away. Mm. And I was like, wow, you can do that? And he does it in this song called Ballad of Big Nothing, which um, which is a great song. But uh, that really threw me off the first time I heard it. I was like, hang on a second, that's what the Beatles do. But they just, <laughs> he didn't do the bit you have to do first. What's he doing? It's amazing when you hear someone like break the rules and you go, that sounds nice, but it's, you're not allowed to do it. Or are you? <laughs> yeah. And then it makes you go, I'm going to do that. Um, so, yeah, that's my, that's my third choice. And, uh, yeah, I think it's Smith, either or. And, uh, yeah. That's our top three. Decent. Yeah. All right, so I think that's about it for this week, isn't it? That is about it. We've done our uh, weekly songs. We've done our individual top three songwriter albums lists. Cool. Uh, We'll see you again next week with more songs and stuff. Yes, and uh, just quickly before we go as well, um, just an update for any listeners uh, who've been listening on SoundCloud. Uh, We're moving the vast majority of our uh, back catalogue of podcasts to archive.org forward slash weekly song podcast and uh, you can search for us on that site um, and we're going to have the most recent few on SoundCloud only uh, so you, we'll link to all this in uh, in our descriptions and everything so you'll be able to find yeah you'll be able to find the back catalogue and archive and then the most recent ones on SoundCloud that's the one exactly and uh, yeah that's everything for this week I think so we will see you again next week alright ta bye